Uh, Genesis 4, beginning with verse 1, hear the word of God. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. He knew her biblically. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a, put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of, east of Eden. The land of wandering is what Nod means. Cain, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. He built a city, and he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Enoch was born in Rad, and Arad fathered Mahujael. Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech had two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jabal. He was the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was not a mom. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me. A young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, I mean, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And the grass withers and the flower fades, uh, but the word of the Lord uh, endures forever. When you come to the beginning of 
life out of the garden doesn't go very well. Um, it's a it's a tragic story, right? When we read it, we hear the we hear the tragedy uh, of it. Here's the it begins with the first murder, right? The first taste of physical death um, that was that was experienced. Uh, criminal violence and, and treachery, right? Between between brothers. This is this is what the first children going to do. How they get along with one another. A brother against brother and ends in bloodshed. And I think it's especially tragic as we as we read the story because it even it begins with hope. And there's a sense from the promise of Genesis three fifteen that we're we're looking for for something good to come out of it as it's going on. Um, but it turns out so horribly wrong. It seems to just continue on uh, in that direction. Can we go ahead and get the this slide off? Um, it's hope that uh, that turns turns into tragedy as we read. I think you're, we're hopeful about a lot of things, right? Our long, young college students, you've got life in front of you, right? All these hopes and dreams of what you. Because in some ways, really, you, you do. There's things that you're looking forward to. Like, man, you're, you're loving the four or nine years that you might spend here and living it up while, while you're here. The relationships that you get to build, but you're also you're also thinking about what's coming up next after this. And, what kind of jobs you'll find? Will the economy have picked up by then? You're, you're hopeful that it will, right? There'll be jobs out there to find. And, and things that you're able to do in the world, impact that you're able to have on people, um, how you're able to, to care for one another, and hopes about people you might meet, friendships that you make, maybe even here, um, how those will carry on, friendships you'll make later, relationships, romance, how you have Valentine's Day coming up, right? Like, hopeful about romance, is there going to be flowers, different things? Um, uh, uh, right, even the um, even the cynics and even the pessimists, uh, a lot of times I think are lots of what we're doing that cynicism is that, that cynicism is just kind of covering over our hopes. Um, we don't want because we're afraid of it ending in disappointment. We don't want to let ourselves hope in something and then realize where it breaks apart. We don't let other people know that we were hopeful, and then and then our vulnerabilities were sort of let down because we're often. Disappointed. Um, in, in this passage, right, it takes a picture of tragedy, but it's, it doesn't just leave it there, even as it's part of the whole uh, rest of Scripture, but even, even hints and whispers from within the passage. It's, it's tragedy, but it points us to a different pattern. It points us to a different pattern where hope doesn't just end in tragedy, but when, when the pattern begins to be reversed. How uh, when tragedy begins to be reversed and results in hope, in the hope of the gospel uh, through Christ. Doesn't end in just feelings of, of disappointment, uh, but 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 the whole of Scripture and the gospel from this story on leads to not disappointment, but joy. Uh, it's pointers to saying that there's a time when all this is being reversed and made right, where there's, there's satisfaction, where things are the way uh, that we want them to be, a paradise and beyond. Right, that the gospel actually brings uh, brings hope out of tragedy. It brings a confident and sure hope, not just like an optimism of maybe this will work out better, uh, but, but seeing that God has it and he is doing something uh, with it that's good, that we long for. Even this passage and the tragedy of it points us to the fulfillment of uh, the longings of our hope. All right, Jesus Jesus says all of Scripture is, is about Him. He's the fulfillment of it. Hopefully we'll, we'll see how that's... Uh, I'm hoping you'll... 
looking at even as we're going through Genesis, you're, you're learning, interpreting Scripture as we look at it. But you're seeing these things and saying, how is this speaking to us about the Gospel and, and how it's leading us there? But as we go through this, we'll just have a couple points as we go through it. But um, so I want you to think about what are, what are the tragedies uh, that you're afraid of? Maybe it's things you've already experienced. You don't want to hear the, the echoes of that again. You're... You're watchful of those things. You're protective of those things. Um, maybe it's hard circumstances that it doesn't take too much imagination for you to see in your future that you've watched in other people. Well, what are the tragedies you're afraid of? But also, what are the hopes that you're longing for? What are the things that it gets you excited to think about? It? And that's the direction that you want to move and, and gear your life toward, toward some of these things happening. You should look at those tragedies, those hopes, and I want you to be thinking about how the gospel of Jesus speaks into that. Just in those fears and disappointments, those, those hopes and desires for fulfillment. First point is, is hope turned to tragedy? What we see uh, in the passage, right? When uh, hope turned to tragedy, when hope turns tragic, um, it just it, it leaves the feeling of, of emptiness, kind of meaningless uh, to it. Um, think of all uh, you know, literature uh, uh, tragedies like Romeo and Juliet. Right, here's the two, two star-crossed lovers, the, you know, um, the, the, for, the forbidden love, and then their desire for one another, and their, their plans to make that come out, and it just it ends in the death of each of them. There's no fulfillment, and it feels uh, empty right, and meaningless. It hurts. We relate to it. We've, we've experienced a lot of that, um, but, uh, but there's, a, there's an emptiness in that tragedy. And because of, the, because of even the hope that's there. Listen, in this passage, I don't, I don't know if you're picking up on this as we read it, but it begins with hope. It begins with hope and Eve's expectation. Because what's just happened? And Adam knew Eve, right? Typically knowing this, this full relating of experiential knowledge with one another. So, so yes, that was knowing biblically. Um, Eve conceived and she gave birth to, to an offspring. Where have you heard about offspring before in, in, in Genesis so far? Well, the you know, first chapter says this is part of, their, part of their role that God's given them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But then there it came up again and, and within the curse to the serpent in Genesis 3.15 that, that there will be an offspring from the woman. And this, this child from the woman is going to crush, may himself be crushed by the serpent, but he will also crush the head of the serpent. Uh, this, this source of evil as it was brought in, their, their experience will be put away the way they should have done in the garden. He's excited, right? This is, this is her firstborn son, and she's saying, "Here, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord." And the uh, the Hebrew, this, this I've gotten, I've acquired a man with the help of the Lord, is, is, is sounds the same as the word king. She's, she's explaining why she's naming him king, and it's this hope of him as as maybe the Messiah, as this offspring. And what will he bring out? Will this end this this evil, this suffering? And go very well. Um, right? I think we have, uh, as I often put this way, we have our false messiahs. We have things that we look to that we're hopeful about, that like we're thinking maybe this is going to bring me satisfaction. Maybe this is going to bring me fulfillment. Maybe this is going to rescue me. You know, sometimes that's just like, that's not a, like the large scale of life, that's the daily, like, maybe this, what am I going to do this weekend? Am I going to be bored? 
oh, the Super Bowl's on. It's going to rescue my boredom. I mean, like, look at it. It looks like the, the song on my iPad to find this new band. It's just incredible. They make life like meaningful by listening to it, right? I, I love new bands. I like music. But um, <laughs> next, the next movie or more Netflix movies, or, and we're like, we're looking for something a lot of times with these. Beyond just a, just a fine and normal enjoyment, a lot of times for us, there's, there's something that's like, this escape or this thing is going to bring me some kind of deeper meaning, deeper satisfaction. Maybe it's beyond that, the, um, you know, alcohol, drugs, or whatever, or just relationships. People that we look to, um, be friends, and we're putting all the, all the pressure on them of, of how they take care of us, how they relate to us, and that's going to be what makes life meaningful. Yeah, we need each other. We're supposed to. But we can also put too much hope in someone. Expecting them to treat us uh, perfectly, expecting that to work out right. Um, and sometimes, uh, sometimes the person that seemed like they were going to be Mr. Right uh, ends up being very much Mr. Wrong. Um, and if and if further hopes have gone into that, uh, it, it, it hurts. There's, there's a tragedy in it. Um, it begins with hope for Eve. Here's here's Cain. Here's I've gotten an offspring from the Lord. That quickly turns toward disappointment, right? Um, curse or disappointment from the beginning from the way that Cain relates to God. That's what you see in the offering there. Um, uh, right? It says that, uh, that, that Cain was a, a gardener. He's a farmer. He's, he's working the ground and bringing forth uh, crops and, and fruit from that uh, while Abel was uh, he attended the sheep to care the, to care the flocks. Um, and, and both of them bring an offering to God, it says. In fact, it mentions Cain first. And he, brings a, he brings an offering of the stuff that he's worked, he's, he's drawn this out of the ground, but he, he brings it and he offers it to God. Cain does the same thing, brings, brings his offering, but it says, uh, um, it, says, it says that God was pleased, he had regard for Abel. He was pleased with what Abel brought. I was pleased with Abel in bringing his offering, um, but he wasn't with Cain. Right? Um, now, you can look at Hebrews 11.4 that's down there. Uh, what you see in it is, is there's the faith involved in Abel that's lacking uh, in Cain. I'll hopefully draw that out of the passage for you, but once you see it, Hebrews 11.4 just says clearly, it's by faith that Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. Right? It wasn't, wasn't uh, Abel did it just, is that Abel trusted God as he was doing so. Sometimes I've heard things of like it's, well, uh, Abel's bringing uh, an, an animal while, while Cain's just bringing an offering to the ground. Uh, if you look close to the text, what you see, that, that's not it. And there, the Israelites were commanded to bring offerings from the, from the ground as well, uh, um, a grain offering. Uh, but what does it say about, about Abel's offering? It says that he offered the firstborn uh, and the fat portions of it. The idea is he, he, offered, the, he offered the best. He offered the, the best of what he had. He brought that before God to offer it to him. And Cain, what, what's lacking is that the Israelites would have recognized from the, from the sacrificial heads later in Scripture, um, he doesn't say that Cain brought the first fruits. That's what's supposed to be brought to the Lord. The, the first fruits, the best, the earliest and the best of the crop, he's supposed to be bringing uh, to God. So what you see in Cain, is a, where you see the disappointment in his relationship with God, is it's a very weak devotion. And you think, ah, oh, he's bringing some kind of offering, right? He ought to, ought to get some credit for it. Um, what it seems is that it's, it's an outward act uh, that he's bringing, but it's not, with, it's not with faith. It's not with trust of God offering up an excitement and devotion to him. Uh, 
And maybe we could, you know, kind of wonder which would characterize our devotion to God. Is it, is it that type of, uh, of faith that Abel Shelley and bringing the best and, and wanting, wanting more of God and more to, to give to God? Or is it we're kind of content with little or as little enough as, as we're able to get away with is, is what we want? Um, but, but you can see it in, uh, you can see it in, in Cain as, his, as it's not accepted by God, and that tells us enough of it. It just begins to spiral down, right? It wasn't that he was focused on God and so wanting to, how can he serve God better, uh, but concerned for himself in it. When, when he didn't get what he wanted out of giving something to God, God's pleasure with it, and he, he's very angry, right? You can see it on his face. He's grumpy, frustrated. You know, it's one of those days, like, it's better to avoid Cain today. Hey, let's go, let's go hang out with some other people. He's having a hard time. We'll talk to him later, right? Um, He's, uh, he's, he's angry with him. God comes in and God speaks to him uh, in this. He doesn't just leave him in it. God speaks to him, gives him a warning. He says to him, listen, you can still, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Um, right? It's not just the works of what you're doing, but it's not that God's holding back on him, that God won't, but he's calling Cain toward him with true faith and devotion, actually wanting to give to God from the heart. He, he calls him to that. If you, if you um, do well, will you not be accepted? And also he warns them he's in a dangerous place. Do not do well. Sin. It's crouching at the door. Have you ever like played jokes on your friends and you hide outside the door when you never come in? Wait for a few minutes when they don't know you're there. As soon as they walk out, jump out on you. Like some of y'all like to go to like haunted houses or whatever, you know, around uh, um, around Halloween and everything. And it's like, oh, there's just all these different corners that you have to walk through. And you know that there's going to be people jumping out with like chainsaws and hockey masks and all this stuff, right? And it's uh, um, to freak you out. Um, God's warning came, there's sin. Hiding right outside the door, ready to pounce on you. Um, I just carries on, as mentioned later in Scripture, that uh, Satan is like a roaring lion uh, prowling around seeking someone to, to devour. It's like there's a lion right outside your door, ready to jump on you. Or maybe in the context here, it's like there's a, like there's a snake, poisonous venomous snake, right outside the door, coiled up, just watching for you. It's desirous for you. It's a warning. Because your job is to rule over it, the way that Adam and Eve were to, should have ruled over the serpent and thrown him out of the garden. Um, he warns him of it. And so, Cain goes and talks to his brother. And we're hopeful, right? We're like, he heard from God and he went and talked to his brother. This should be good coming out of this, right? Um, what comes out of it? Uh, when, they were, when they were in the open field, um, and uh, uh, you, you should probably read that more along the lines of, and so when he had lured uh, his brother into the dark alley, Right. Uh, this is the idea, of, and you see this later in, uh, in the Old Testament, that, that certain crimes that they were committed into the open field are dealt with differently. It's a place where there aren't any witnesses. Right, so if, you're in the, if you're in the city, you think like the dark alley. Um, it always cracks me up whenever, like, sometimes we go, like, four-wheeling out Apalachicola National Forest, you know, have a little fun out there. Maybe we'll do that later. It's a good time. It's a good time. Um, but you go out there, and there's just there's nothing else out there. And there's like no one else around for miles and miles. And most of the time when I have someone else in the car with me uh, out there, um, you know, one of y'all said something like, it's kind of scary. <laughs> like, how do we know who's out there? What if there's someone really bad out here? You've got no one to turn to, no one to see what's going on. That's the idea of it here. 
um, he, he calls him out to the, to the open field. Uh, this is the way you see it in, in later scripture with some of the laws of it. Um, and what happens? He rises up against his brother Abel. And he kills him. Murder. Murder. Blood was shed. How the hand of brother goes up against brother and spills out his blood on the soil. Um, uh, and then as God comes to him, where, where's your brother Abel? Kind of spirals downward even further. Brazenly denies any and all responsibility. I don't know. I straight up lie. I mean, how quickly do we come up with lies about you know, things when we've uh, broken stuff? Excuses. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I supposed to know where he's at all the time? Why are you even asking me? Go, go find him if you're looking for him. As if God doesn't know. And you got to like, think about it, like, what was Abel expecting that he would accomplish by this? It's just going to go well for me. Now God's going to be pleased with me uh, in it. Where are you expecting it to go? Um, was punished. Punished by God, cursed from the ground, uh, exiled. He's a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And the place that he goes, they call it the land of wandering, uh, the land of none. It's a deep tragedy in the story. Right? You think from uh, Adam and Eve's perspective, what you hope for from your children, and like parents have that amazing ability to hope like everything from their children. Um, disappointment. Uh, deeply disappointed. They lost two of their sons in that. Um, and, and more than that, their, their hope of, of rescue, of salvation from it, has turned around on them the other way. Uh, in fact, part of the deepness of the tragedy is the, um, the, the very sin that Adam and Eve had committed. That's what Cain's repeating. He's repeating their failure. He's repeating their failure and just extending it further. It's kind of the point of the narrative as it goes on and tells you about, um, about Cain's descendants, um, that they continue to repeat his failure, to repeat his failure and to extend it. Until you get down to Lamech, who has got multiple wives and thinks that's just great, and calls the both of them and tells them that, hey, if they thought Cain was, was a... Uh, <laughs> if they thought Cain was a, was a bad guy with, with a lot of power, he's even more so. Um, right? he, he's boasting um, in, his, uh, in his power. If anyone messes with me, I take him down. If anyone just kind of like bumps into me, yeah, yeah I'll kill him for that. Um, right, that's that's where it where it devolves into. I think we're familiar with the emptiness of hopes that turn tragic. Uh, and, I, and I use that word emptiness because that's that's Abel's name uh, in the passage. It's the same word that's used in Ecclesiastes for uh, vanity of vanities, right? Meaningless, meaningless. Um, there's Abel's life that ends up just right, almost almost meaningless, empty. Uh, ended early through murder. Uh, I think we're, we're familiar with feelings of emptiness uh, of hope turned tragic, right? Because you've been hurt. You've been hurt by other people. You've been mistreated unfairly and un- unjustly. Um, but then even sometimes it's part of the disappointment is that we've, we've become our own disappointment. Uh, we're hurt with our expectations of this. You know, it's when you end up saying, like, I can't believe that I did that. I can't believe that I didn't do these things that I, that I set myself out to learn. Here's what I want you to see. Um, we're more like Cain than we would like to admit. 
Uh, we're actually more like Cain than we would like to admit. Uh, right, sibling rivalry, that's kind of, a, kind of a universal experience across cultures and different things. Right now, thankfully, every uh, sibling doesn't end up uh, murdering their, their uh, sibling, but there's, <coughs> but there's this rivalry uh, to it. We've got a, we've got a couple of uh, siblings in the, in the rooms, yeah, yeah. Um, so far, so far. Um, I've, got, I've got two older brothers. I remember, uh, I remember fighting with my brothers a lot. Actually, I was the youngest brother, so they like beat up on me all the time. But, but I do. I remember times of like even being the younger brother, like taking swings. <laughs> I just had no like strength in my arms, so it didn't go very far. I was, I was really disappointed at that point. Hope turned uh, down, but it wasn't a very good hope to start with. But um, uh, have we lied about our siblings? Cues, manipulated, hidden things. I try to get them in trouble. Um, not the siblings, right? Roommates? I mean, there are like uh, organizational institutions set up at this university because roommates are going to have conflicts with, all, with one another all the time, right? So we have the existence of RAs and, and residence hall directors and other counseling center staff to deal with those things as well when you don't want to talk to them and, uh, like, because this is what we experience all the time. I'm not saying we've murdered everyone, but we're more like Cain than we would, than we would like to admit. We're horrified at that. But then there's things that we've done that, that are part of it, right? And the New Testament gives us warning, warnings about uh, being like Cain. And uh, you see that in 1 John 3, and Jude uh, mentions it. But, but particularly, Jesus brings it out. Right? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, You've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. So in the Ten Commandments, Cain broke. What did he go on to say? Um, right? He says, If you're angry with your brother, if you insult your brother, if you say to your brother, You fool, uh, you're liable to hellfire for, for, for making fun for trying to put them down. I right? call them you fool. It's like, I'm going to try to make myself better and you seem worse. And that's sibling rivalry like at its core, right? Um, just saying that's part of the whole of murder. That's, that's, that's committing murder in our heart, even if we're restrained enough not to, not, not to act out on it. Um, that's the that's sin involved in it. So if it's true that we're more like Cain than we would like to admit, then right, what do we do with that? Where do, where do we go from there? Right? We, we should just kind of keep hoping in ourselves. Well, I'm going to get better relating to people that, that do it. Or hoping in other people that kind of help us out with those things. Just end in disappointment and uh, emptiness. Or we can deny it and try to escape into, into other things, right? But the passage is encouraging us to look for a different hope. To look for a different hope than Cain. To look, look for a different and better hope than us as we're, we're like Cain. That's, that's where the passage points. It points to tragedy turned a hopeful. Right? That's the second uh, point. Um, hope out of tragedy. Tragedy turned a hopeful. That we're not left in emptiness. Uh, that brings out meaning and significance. The significance of redemption. I think a lot of times those are the stories that, uh, that really get us, that really resonate with us, Right? Um, so a lot of times you pull for the pull for the underdog. Um, right? You love to see the story of someone coming coming from behind and then still winning the victory, or someone overcoming uh, overcoming difficulty. Someone who's down in their luck that still finds happiness. Right? Maybe it's like Rudy or, or like Rocky. You know, Adrian. You know, and you're like, yeah. uh, he's come from behind. He's against all odds. Right? Even even just romantic comedies. Right? Every romantic comedy, it, there's always got to be some tension. Right? If they just meet, 
and they were perfect for one another, and then they're happily married, they're like, what? Right, there's always like some tension where they, where they meet, but then something happens, and then they break up, or then someone else comes along, and there's, there's some tension where you feel like it's not going to work out, but then when it does at the end, you're excited. Right? It's got to go through this, uh, it's, it's this hope that kind of turned out of things wrong that we're, we're drawn into, that we're excited about, that we resonate with, because part of it's like, well, that's, that's where we see ourselves. If, if it's the story about okay, these two people meet, and they're great, and they care for one another well, and they go on and they get married, we're like... That's not going to happen to me. That story's going to be one where there's like problems thrown in. And we, we feel like we're the ones who have undergone this, this hurt and this disappointment uh, uh, tragedy. We're from behind. We're, we've gone through difficulties. And, and we want to think that there's still some way that it can end up well. It can end up going well for us. Tragedy turned uh, hopeful. Right, here's Adam and Eve again. You see in the, uh, the last couple of verses of the chapter, in verse 25, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and she called his name Seth. All right, Seth, which means appointed. Appointed by God, because God had appointed for her another offspring. Uh, in place of Abel, she says, whom Cain had, uh, had killed. Here God had given her uh, another, another offspring. And, and the promise from Genesis 3.15 gets to be carried on, but, but carried on through a different line. She's looking for, for the Messiah. And here you have his son, and he names him Enosh, which is, uh, which is weakness, and one who's admitting his weakness and dependence of when from his time on people begin to call on the name of the Lord. But it's not that we're going to do it ourselves, it's that we need God's help. We need God working uh, for us in this. I think so into the tragedy uh, springs hope. Springs hope uh, of redemption, of the offspring continuing. Because from the rest of Scripture, Adam's line continues through Seth and Enosh all the way down to, to Noah. God preserves from destruction and to Abraham. And God makes this covenant of relationship with and Isaac and Jacob and uh, the tribe of Judah and David from the tribe of Judah and, the, and with the son of David. Uh, the son of David in fullness who is Christ. Coming from the line of Adam through Seth, this offspring, Jesus, is born of a woman. So the passage is encouraging us to look at. Right, but, in the, but in the life of Jesus, it's another murder. Right? Um, a, deeper, a deeper tragedy in the murder where Jesus is the victim. Uh, in his righteousness, in his innocence, as God in the flesh, still he's uh, the victim. It's a greater tragedy than Cain uh, killing his brother Abel. Because here's a tragedy where humanity uh, rises up against God in the flesh and condemns and crucifies, hangs on the cross, pronounces guilty, and rejects to the point of death. And that's the greatest tragedy that there can be. And so... Yes, we are like Cain because this is what we've done. Jew, Gentile together, Herod and, and Pilate together, this is what we've done. We have crucified the Lord of glory. Um, how does Jesus respond on the cross? Luke 23, 44, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, I forgive them. Like Jesus' death wasn't empty, it wasn't vain. Uh, is deeply, deeply meaningful. It's, it's from that very tragedy that hope comes. This is what we, what we rest in, right? It's, this is the, the event that begins to reverse tragedy. It makes all the, all the strings of tragedy, all its wrongs, become kind of unfurled. And behind it, what you begin to see is how God is, has, has, has woven these things, even some of our wrongs, into, into leading toward a greater victory. 
and to bring out from it our rescue and our salvation and to showing His greater uh, glory. He's reversing tragedy because from the greatest, deepest tragedy, He brings out our most glorious and hopeful salvation. One that we can be confident in. One that will not uh, disappoint. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will, will never be put to shame. Because here is a reality that's reversing it. Like Cain killed his brother who he hated. He was jealous. Uh, he was envious. Wasn't even helpful in what he did. Um, Jesus hated his brother. He, he gave up his life for his brothers whom he loved. I mean, love, they were, that we were still uh, sinners, that we were still rebellious and hating uh, him. His sacrifice in putting others' interests above his own. Cain is punished, exiled. Right? That just lead, that, that leads to uh, more sin from, from his descendants in, in Lamech. But, but Jesus, right, though, though exiled himself, experiencing the punishment of God on the cross, where does it lead? Was raised was raised from the, from the dead. It could not hold, uh, hold him down. And, and what does it accomplish? It restores us to God. Rather than breaking this relationship, he's actually through uh, his death made a way for us to be uh, in fellowship and close communion and the love of God. Um, that tragedy brings out our hope, our joy, our confidence. It's, it's, it's reconciling us. It's redeeming us. It's bringing us back into, into God's love, into God's joy and his fellowship. That's why I put Hebrews 12, 24 on here. Once you see it, it's not just, I'm looking at the text and going, oh, I want to talk about the gospel from this. I'm, this is how the Bible is speaking to you about this. And we look at the rest of Scripture and say, how does it help us see what these things mean? We go to the New Testament. Here it is and in Hebrews 12, 24. It says this, right? Because you have come uh, to Jesus, to the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel speaks a better word in the blood of Abel. Because you see it, right, in the text. What, what did God say? Hey, your brother's blood is calling to me from the ground. What did you do from that? He punishes Cain. Exile. He's cursed. Right? Abel's blood calls to the ground for vengeance, for justice, for punishment, for a curse that's deserved for those actions. What does Christ's blood call? He calls for mercy. He called for salvation. It says that punishment has now been paid and it's done with. There's not any condemnation anymore. Yeah, you can relate to Cain. And we hurt in those things. We go, oh no, what is that? I hide from God in this? The punishment is gone. You don't have to hide anymore. You don't have to be ashamed of that coming to Christ in it. It says guilt is finished. And there's freedom and there's forgiveness. Right, that we're reconciled to God and he, what, you have, what it speaks is God's fullness of love for you and nothing but love for you as you come in Christ. You're, you're raised together with Him. So when we say washed, nothing but the blood of, of Jesus, where we're washed in it because it speaks this better word. Right? One of the songs we sing sometimes already is, is mercy speaks by Jesus' blood. So Jesus' blood is calling out uh, from, from the ground, from the cross, uh, for us, mercy from God. A love for God. No more guilt. No more condemnation. Satisfaction of pain has been, been made. And it's in the tragedy of the cross that hope reappears. How uh, the hope reappears in a, just in a dramatic way. In a dramatic way that begins to turn everything around and reverse even the very core and the depth of that tragedy. 
turn the whole thing upside down where it begins to point and lead as the path toward, toward victory and salvation through the resurrection. So what? So the ugliness of our sin, when we see it, it points to the beauty of God's love. Right? That even despite all of our sins, He's loved us. He's brought us into Himself. He's covered all those things. The failure of our, uh, our own failures, the failures of humanity, others around us from Cain on, reveals the glorious, perfect righteousness of Jesus who did what we weren't able to do. And he did it for us as our representative, as our, uh, as our Savior, that we would look and hope uh, in him. So what's, what has seemed a story of tragedy becomes a redemption song. Um, it becomes a victory celebration uh, once, the, once the Savior has come. We can belong to Jesus through faith and enjoy, enjoy the sure hope. Just kind of maybe it'll work out. A confident hope that has been accomplished. And there is hope for us to return to paradise, to be taken back to the garden, but not just to the garden, the gar paradise improves. Uh, to the glorious city of the new heavens and the new earth that Jesus is able to bring us to. Tragedy turned hopeful. So yes, it begins a tragic story when you read it. It's a tragic story, but it's a tragic story that points uh, toward the amazing ending, the glorious, victorious ending, where hope and tragedy reversed. What are the tragedies that you fear? And yeah, you've got reason to fear some of these things. Uh, And what are the hopes that you long for? And and, and do you see the way that the gospel can be a transforming of these things? Uh, The gospels that work in the tragedies ultimately reversing and hopes are not not empty through the offspring of the woman, through Christ's victory uh, for us. Um, Listen, because we're like Cain, we need Jesus. That's what it's calling us to repent, to admit that we're like Cain and to look to Jesus instead of ourselves. Hope is outside ourselves. The gospel is a call uh, to trust uh, this greater offspring that we can be than any other can be, to hope in him and to follow him and even to be made like him. Which is what he's doing in us. Um, right, while, there's, while there's glimpses of, of hope throughout, even this passage, and then throughout uh, the rest of, uh, of Scripture, uh, the full light of the sun has risen uh, with Christ and Christ's resurrection. But now what does that mean? Follow me here. It means that we get to be reflections of that hope, of that glorious hope. As we're trusting in Christ and, and, and his, his reign is in us, it begins to change our hopes, and it begins to change the tragedies that we're experiencing and that we're part of. And the question is, will you, uh, will you live in the line of Cain, the serpent, uh, the Lamech, leading this boasting and pride of our power, and other people can't mess me, and I'm trying to lift myself up and bring others down, or will we live in the line of Christ, Seth and Enosh uh, on, calling upon the name of the Lord? Uh, that he's our help, that he's our defender, that he's our only hope, and we, we look to him uh, in weakness and calling out and, and love and, and giving ourselves. Right, the, the reflections of the hope and glory lead us to not act like Cain, but to love one another. Um, to take us places of envy and jealousy and boasting and pride and, and power and ruthlessness and treachery uh, and replace it with Kindness and gentleness and faithfulness, love and self-control. 
Um, right? So, so when the, that it takes the tragedies, it takes the tragedies in your life, and now there is hope within those tragedies. The strand of the gospel runs deep all the way through it. Um, to, to, to try to begin to be following what Christ has done and let that work out in it. And that, that roommate conflict or that relationship conflict or the friend conflict, like, is it going to result in just bitterness and anger and back and forthness until there's just a distance spread out? Or can it also result in reconciliation um, and, and a strengthening uh, friendship, strengthening ties, um, right? Built upon the gospel. Repentance and forgiveness of one another. Um, family issues. Other sisters that have hurt you, siblings, uh, parents, uh, other things. If you look at that and don't just, you're not just borne down and weighed down by all the, the tragedy, but you're also looking and say, how can the gospel be at work in this? How can I give of myself for them, loving them, I'm giving up that jealousy because Christ has loved me that way? This is where the gospel works out. Because um, what is it with all of our friendships? Right? There's always the, the competitive energy to it. What do they think of me? What do I think of them? Do other people like them more than they like me? I mean, do that like spiritually. Other people think that what they're offering is more impressive than, than what I am. Right? That their gifts are more, more valuable. Um, um, the way that uh, the king had that jealousy of, of his brother. Um, we get to be reflections of the glory of Christ lived out in the tragedies of life and relationships that are being reversed into hope and joy and salvation. Uh, since the fall and sin, there's no hope outside of tragedy. There's no hope outside of tragedy. Once we're removed from the garden, there's no perfect world, no paradise anymore, no perfect results. Uh, but now Christ is overruling the tragedies and he's using this to bring us uh, into his perfect paradise and to extend his reign out from us for his glory to spread over all the earth. Um, this is hope and tragedy reversed uh, to bring out from tragedy hope and salvation in Christ.